Okay, we're going to have a, a bit of trouble this evening if uh, I was struggling to get my words out this morning. We've got some uh, long Greek words this evening, and a guy called Athanasius, who I keep wanting to call Anastasia, uh, who was winner of Pop Idol uh, in America in the, uh, the early 2000s, so apologies if I make any mistakes uh, in advance. But have you ever, ever had a situation where you thought you were right, and everyone else thought that you were wrong? I remember a particular uh, situation when I was at primary school, and we had a school quiz, and there was a question about music, and even when I was at school, I was a big fan of music, and there was a question to tell you how long ago it was, there was a song by Wet Wet Wet, um, and uh, I recognised it, and I said, the song is called Goodnight Girl, and everybody else on my team, i.e. my family, uh, reckoned that it was uh, called Wishing Well. And I insisted, I knew that I was right, and do you know what? They didn't believe me, they went with wishing well, and we lost the quiz. Uh, I think it was by two points, and the two questions... Uh, I'm not bitter about this <laughs> in any way. <laughs> but there's, there's that feeling, is there, when you know that you're right, that everyone else thinks you're wrong. Well, that is what has happened here to Athanasius. He was one of those men. But what he knew wasn't trivia about music or anything like that. What he knew was based on the word of God and what it revealed about the Son of God. So to tell you a story, uh, which we're going to look at this evening, we're going to start off by looking at three... Go on, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, let's see, there we go. One city, three men. The city that we're talking about is Alexandria, which was a Greek-speaking speaking city in modern-day Egypt. To this day... It's the second largest city in Egypt. And it sits on the Mediterranean coast. And it was used uh, in back in the day, it used to house the uh, Library of Alexandria. Uh, it also used to have the Pyramid uh, of Alexandria uh, in it, uh, which was one of the wonders of the, uh, the ancient world. Uh, so it was a pretty significant place. And uh, in this town, for our case, there were three significant people. The first one, was a man called Alexander. Uh, Alexander was the chief pastor, priest, bishop, whatever you want to call them, of the church in Alexandria. He was alive during the 3rd and 4th centuries, uh, but his date of birth is unknown. Uh, he died in uh, 326 uh, AD. But what you need to know about Alexander, he's a staunch defender of what we now know as the orthodox, the right view of the Trinity. He affirmed that the Son is co-equal and co-eternal with the Father, that he is of the same substance of the Father. In other words, Jesus, the God the Son, really is God. One of the other church leaders, though, in Alexandria, would become notorious in opposing that view. His name was Arius. Now, if you do church history, that's what everyone boos, because uh, he's the sort of most well-known heretic uh, in church history. But Arius was a deacon in the church of Alexandria, and he took exception to what Alexander was teaching. By this point uh, of this discussion, Arius had already been kicked out of the church for once uh, in Alexandria because of his views on welcoming uh, backsliders back into the church. Arius was readmitted by the next bishop, and then Alexander was the bishop after that, so he'd been around a while. But Arius claimed that Alexander was teaching something that was widely accepted at the time as heresy. Uh, here's a long word for you, Sabellianism or modalism. It's basically the idea that the Father, Son and Holy Spirit are all the same person, 
just sort of in disguise. So there's only one person, and you just see him in different ways. So by that time, it was accepted as heresy, and that's what he accused Alexander of teaching. In its place, he claimed that Jesus, uh, that the Son, was a created being. That the Son was the first of God's creations that he used to create the rest of the world. So not just a mere man, as you sometimes hear under the banner of Arianism, but a mere creature, divine with a small d, like the angels, a created being. It's essentially what Jehovah's Witnesses believe uh, today. Arius began to spread his views widely beyond the area of Alexandria. Though it should be mentioned that there were people sympathetic to that kind of approach who sort of readily adopted the name Arian afterwards. And one of his methods for spreading his teaching was songs. He used to write songs and sort of send them out with the, the tunes. The most famous one is one called There Was a Time When He Was Not. In other words, Jesus, the son, doesn't have a, a, a did have a beginning. And uh, nobody knows the tune, but basically that was just that over and over again. There was a time when he was not. But the, you know, the danger of songs with dodgy lyrics, you've got to be really careful, haven't you? It's sticking your head. But Alexandra tried to discipline Arius, but by this point the horse had bolted, and there was a need to address this more widely in the church in the whole area, which we'll come to in a minute. So that's Arius. But first, before we look at that meeting to address this, we need to address the third person, the most significant person we'll be focusing on, Athanasius. Athanasius was another deacon in the church of Alexandria at this point. He was Alexander's secretary and a supporter of the doctrine that Alexander was teaching. He was probably a good 50 years younger than Alexander and 40 years younger than Arius. So in, in church terms, he was just a nipper. He was born to a Christian family and seems to have wanted to be in ministry from a young age. There are sort of apocryphal stories about ways that he got involved with church and doing pretend baptisms in the river and things like that. But he was appointed a deacon aged 21 and he accompanied Alexander on important missions, the most significant one being the Council of Nicaea. And so our second point, one town, three parties. Constantine, the emperor of the Roman Empire, had recently converted to Christianity when these events were happening. And he'd heard of the controversy going on in the East, especially when he sort of put his mark on the church. And so he convened a council to sort it all out, and to sort out what the church's position on the nature of the sun was. And that's what we now call the Council of Nicaea. Nicaea was a little town in Asia Minor, near modern-day Istanbul. And about 300 representatives came from all over, though mainly from the east, to this council in uh, 325 AD. The emperor was there, sort of made a big pomp as he sort of came in. And there were three main parties, groups, trends there. It's hard to draw an exact line as each church had its own sort of baptismal creed. There were slight differences in beliefs at this point, but they sort of formed into roughly three groups. The first one, here's the ones that I've got to get my teeth round. The first ones were called the Homoousians. Okay, Homoousians. They were the people who believed that um, the Father and the Son are the same substance. So Homo, same, Ousian substance. I was thinking about like ooze, which is like a substance, isn't it? Homoousian. But the Father and the Son are both God. That's what they said. And Alexander was the main voice for this party. Athanasius was there as his secretary, 27 years old by this point, and he was there sort of making notes and helping with the discussion. 
This does seem to have been the largest group that was there, which you might expect, since this was the view that the church took. One of them was uh, a man called Saint Nicholas, a jolly old Saint Nick of Santa Claus fame. Um, allegedly, here's the story for you. Allegedly, he was so offended at what Arius said that he smacked Arius in the face. Uh, that's jolly old Saint Nick at the Council of Nicaea. You don't see that in Santa Claus the movie, uh, do you? De- delivering presents and slapping heretics since 325. So that's the Ho 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 Moosians. Um, so help you remember it. Well, this area is just supposed to move, not me. <laughs> That's the first group. The second group were the Aryans. There we go. Boom. There we go. <laughs> Certainly by the end of this, this was the smallest group. Only five of the 300 plus guys uh, refused to sign the creed that was produced and sided with Aryans instead. Though whether they were a larger group at the beginning, we don't know. They were there to sort of discuss and decide what their position was. They were, however, the group with momentum. They were the growing group uh, as the council met. And they were the ones that held that Jesus was a created being. The third group was the homo e Okay, The homo e One letter difference from the homo Uzians, but a world of difference in other ways. They held that the Son was not the same substance of the Father, but a similar substance. So the Son of God, Jesus, is is God, but not in the same way that God the Father is God. The exact position they took differed from person to person and church to church. But as a whole, at Nicaea, they got behind the creed. After Nicaea, they started to splinter away and sort of form their own groups. And actually, this happened all over the place. Within a few years, Nicaea, really, even though they decided that Jesus was of one substance with the Father, within a few years, Nicaea was all but undone. Orthodox Trinitarianism was almost abandoned within a few years of Nicaea. And we'll see that in our third point. One God, three persons. Constantine, uh, during this time, uh, after this, went soft after the Council of Nicaea, and a few years later he readmitted Arius and his followers. They started to get a lot more traction in the Middle East, especially amongst those who had trained alongside uh, Arius in Antioch. Arius also modified his views to make them more palatable to the homo Eusians, and some of them started to move more towards his direction. Alexander, staunch defender of the Trinitarian position, died, as did Emperor Constantine. And he was actually given his last rites by an area, interestingly, who moved to Rome. The emperor after Constantine, Constantius II, was an Arian sympathiser who actually started to persecute those who held to the Nicene Creed. The emperor after him was a guy called Julian, who was pagan and persecuted Nicene believers and Arian believers alike. And then the one after him, Valence, was now now Arian who again pursued a policy of appointing Arians into the church and persecuting people who held to the Nicene Creed. In the midst of all this stood Athanasius. And it's not without reason that he's been given the epitaph, Athanasius contra mundum, which means Athanasius against the world. Nicaea was not the end of the struggle, really, because the struggle carried on. If anything, it marks the beginning. But Athanasius was the guy who took up the mantle from Alexander. Nicaea was a line in the sand, if you like, but it also became a target for people to attack 
It became a place for people uh, to uh, work against. Firstly, it was ignored. It's not mentioned for a few years after it was written. It's one of those sort of interesting gaps in church history. People carried on with their speculations about the sun, some getting further and further away from the truth. After they'd ignored it, people holding it were attacked. Athanasius was exiled five times during his lifetime. Of his 45 years in ministry, he spent 17 of them in exile. Not just exiled from church, because that wasn't how it worked in those days, but from his home, from his family, from his friends. He was considered a marked man. He had to live where no one would recognise him. So he went to Germany, he went to Bulgaria, he went out and lived in the Egyptian desert at points. Some of the exiles were a direct result of his theology. Others were actually done as trumped-up charges against him, or exaggerated charges of violence against people. Whatever excuse they could find to get rid of him and appoint Arians, that they did. But Athanasius, through the whole of this, persisted. He lobbied bishops, and he wrote books. Dozens of books. He called for councils in different areas and won debates. He educated people about Arianism and its dangers. It seemed like everyone else was against him, but God gave him the courage to keep fighting. He wrote in Greek. He wrote in Coptic, the language of Egypt at the time. He also wrote a biography of an Egyptian Christian called Antony who lived out in the desert. That was actually his most popular book. Forget all his theology books, it was his biography that was actually the most popular. It sort of accidentally, not accidentally, set off the monastic movement because people wanted to copy this Anthony guy. He almost certainly did not write the Athanasian Creed, which bears his name, um, though I'm sure that he would wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly agree with it. After a little time, others began to join him, including a group of three men, now commonly known as the Cappadocian Fathers, Gregory of Nazianzus, Gregory of Nyssa, and Gregory's older brother, Basil the Great Mouse Detective. No, sorry, Basil the Great. Basil the Great Mouse Detective, that's a Disney film. Um, they also began to write and preach about this. Some of the Homo Eusians began to align themselves with Athanasius and the Homo Eusian Nicenes. They realised that what Arius had taught was not the same as what they believed. Athanasius wrote a book calling for a truce between the two sides in order to fight the Arians. By this point, it was clear that actually, with some of them, there was little difference between what they were actually saying, apart from the word that they were using, and eventually they came around. The two sides stopped bickering, and they won the theological argument, and in the end, they won the day. The fruit of his efforts, really, was seen eight years after he died. Another council met, this time in Constantinople, modern-day Istanbul, where they clarified and expanded the Nicene Creed in the light of the last 50-plus years of discussions. The fruit of that council is what we call the Nicene Creed, bizarrely. So if you ever said the Nicene Creed, it's not actually the Nicene Creed. That's a slightly different one. It's the the Nicene-Constantinopolitan Creed uh, that we actually say. It's not quite as catchy, is it? It's just the Nicene Creed. And basically, no one recites the original. Everyone does the cover version, so to speak. But what can we learn from his life and the events that surround it? Our last point. One man, three lessons. The first lesson is who Jesus is really, really matters. Jesus isn't just a bit God. He isn't just like God. He is God. 
true God, really God, fully God. Anything less than that, and he doesn't deserve our worship. He doesn't deserve our devotion. We couldn't sing a song like we did at the beginning, Jesus is Lord. But he is God. He's not a creature. He is the creator. And as such, he's worthy of all our worship and praise. So let's be wary then. People talk about a lot about God, but not about the Trinity. Who make it all about the Father without mention of the Son or indeed the Spirit. That wasn't a debated thing at the time. But we need to understand that God is Trinity. That is who God is. So who Jesus is, is really important. Secondly though, dividing over everything doesn't work. That's the second thing we can learn from his life. I've been struck this week how Athanasius, although he was so solid and stood his ground entirely on his view on Christ... He was willing to work with some of the homo Eusians to make sure that Arianism didn't take a hold. Now, no one could accuse him of being a compromiser, but he was a man who could see, firstly, the gap between the two groups wasn't all that great, and secondly, that they had bigger fish to fry. Sometimes the difference between people is just language, the word that they use. People had misunderstandings about what was meant by homo Eusians. I mean, let's face it, we do, don't we? But once Arianism was taken care of, they could have that discussion. So let's not divide over everything, especially where it might just be a case uh, of language use. I think for us, things like style of music or the gifts of the Spirit are obvious ones that we divide over. And we forget that in many cases, we're closer to the others than we think. And in our world, we've got bigger fish to fry. The challenges of liberalism, of atheism, for example. And then thirdly and finally... God did not promise that defending the truth would be easy. That's possibly the biggest lesson from the life of Athanasius. We had that reading from 2 Timothy earlier. In the middle it said this, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore do not be ashamed of the gospel about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So many of the themes that we've looked at with Athanasius come up in 2 Timothy during uh, his life. So the bravery that was needed as he faced all comers, the suffering that he endured as he faced exile again and again and again and again, the guarding of the deposit as he defended the gospel that he'd received from previous generations. He didn't invent new doctrines, he defended what had been passed on to him against an onslaught of emperors, of bishops, and, well, everybody. And yet he held to what he believed. He did not give in. It was not easy standing for the truth for Athanasius. But it never is. It never is in the whole of history. Jesus stood for the truth, and they crucified him. Paul stood for the truth, and they chopped his head off. But in the end, we got the gospel. The gospel was preserved, the deposit was kept safe and passed on. Humanly speaking, it could have gone very differently if Athanasius had caved. Many others, I'm sure, if Athanasius went, they would go too. But he didn't. He kept teaching the truth. And so must we. Even if everyone keeps insisting that our answer is wrong... We need to keep preaching it. We need to keep teaching it. 
and we need to keep that flame burning that passed on from guys like Athanasius. Let's pray that God would give us the strength to do that. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the example of Athanasius, who stood under such uh, suffering. Father, who endured exile, who uh, stood up even when everyone said that he was wrong, and continued to teach the truth. And Father, thank you so much for the Lord Jesus, who was the ultimate example of that, Father, who never backed down. But Father, continued to preach the truth. Father, help us to look to him and all that he endured, even the cross. And Father, remember that, that it's never easy to stand for the truth. But Father, give us the strength and the patience that we need to do that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.